0: Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's good to see you all this morning. I purposely kept my eyes forward because I like to be surprised when I stand up here and I look out and I see who's here. It's like a kid on Christmas morning. I'm about to tear into you. No, I just made that up. Uh, I want want to welcome you. I want to welcome you that are joining us online. A couple of quick announcements uh, like we did last Sunday. We want to make sure you're aware of what's coming up this week. First of all, this morning, uh, after the worship service ends, eventually, um, you, 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 you all like to stand around and visit and talk. And we love that. We love that you do that. We love that most of us are not in a hurry to get out of here. Um, Most of you are in a hurry to get in here and slow to leave because you enjoy being here, you enjoy being together, it's a family reunion, and uh, you like checking in with one another, catching up, meeting new people, that's exciting. But this morning, we're going to have our bouncers, uh, uh, deacons. (laughs) That was on purpose, I meant to say that we're we're going to we're going to give you 10 or 10 or 12 minutes in the room to visit together and then we're going to start to politely nudge you to the back and the reason for that is our children need the space to practice for next Sunday mornings their part of our easter celebration so i i know you're all in, uh, in agreement that's important and we're going to give them the the room and um, parents, parents who really can't stand to be surprised, you can, you can stay. And I'm told you can stay and watch this rehearsal. But the rest of us, I don't want to spoil the surprise. So now, for those of you that hang around because we pray together after church, we're going to move the prayer meeting into that room in the back that we don't know what we're calling it anymore it's the multi purpose ministry space and it and it does serve multiple purposes throughout the week we meet there our um, um monday to friday our our early morning drop off at school gathers in that place uh, a couple of bible studies through the week meet there um this and it's a, it's the mother's room during worship time if if a mom needs to take a child uh out of the room uh for some privacy uh we're, we're broadcasting our Facebook uh, live in that room. Maybe you didn't even know that. Uh, but if you need to get out of the room and, and, and go into that space, if the door's closed, respect that, please. But after church, it's a fair game. Go on in there. There's some chairs in there. We're going to set up folding chairs for those of you that want to stay and pray. Okay? <clears throat> Friday at 7 o'clock. Good Friday service many of you were here last year for our first in a long time Good Friday service, and it was it was powerful it was impactful and um, people were still talking about it for months after and that was nothing because this year's Good Friday service is is going to be really special. And so we want you to come. Good Friday. Uh, Come. You don't want to miss anything. So be sure to be here five minutes before seven, at least. So you're in the room and you're ready to start at seven. The service will take approximately an hour, not more. And, uh, And then because it's Good Friday, we're we're not going to encourage you to stand around and visit in fellowship. We want you to leave um, with 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 some with some intention. We want you to leave quietly um, and reflect on what we have just been experiencing together in worship. and And then Saturday, uh, we will ha- we will have someone. Someone from our leadership team will be here in this building with the doors unlocked starting at 8 o'clock in the morning through 8 o'clock in the evening. Uh, It's our day of fasting and prayer. We're encouraging you to participate to the extent that you are able. And you don't have to be here to fast, and you don't have to be here to pray. But if you want, if you're passing through and you want to just come in, Spend a few minutes. Did the lights just come on? Wow. Okay. Some sunscreen. Okay. It's spring. It's time to get some color back in these cheeks. I was talking about the day of fasting and prayer, eight to eight. Uh, come, come and come and pray and leave uh, at, at five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we're going to specifically gather together to spend some time praying together. Uh, But you don't have to just be here at five or you can uh, drop in and leave and come back at five or just drop in anytime during the day or just pray wherever you are. But we we are trying to be intentional about praying over uh, the events that we're remembering Uh, Good Friday and and coming into Easter Sunday, praying over some of the things that are happening here that we want to keep our ears open for God's direction and we want to keep our hands open for God's provision. That's pretty cool. And so please make that a part of your Saturday. We're also, at the same time, from 11 to 2 o'clock uh, our kids are participating along with our sister church, Cornerstone Baptist Church on Shut Road in Mid- Middletown. Uh, we're going over there. A number of you have already signed up uh, to to help. We're going over there for the glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt. And uh, there'll be fun and games and refreshments and a gospel message for children. And so uh, come and check that out. If if um, If that's something that you haven't seen in a while it's probably time for you to remember the excitement of children scurrying around looking for something that's hidden uh, and then and then to have an opportunity to tell those children the thing that God has revealed that is a treasure far beyond rubies oh and then uh, I guess Sunday next week we have some stuff going on too Uh, (laughs) 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, we're inviting you to come in into that uh, multi-purpose ministry space that's going to be set up like a cafe. And uh, we're going to have coffee and, and uh, the usual array of beverages, but we're also going to have pastries and, and uh, uh, delicious food to eat for breakfast. And we also have taken into account those among us who are trying to avoid gluten So we'll have some gluten-free options as well. We want you to come. We want you to enjoy some. It's more about the fellowship than it is about the food. I'm just telling you that right now. It's more about being together with God's people than it is about having delicious food. Though it doesn't ever hurt to have delicious food. But that's not going to be our focus. The focus is going to be spending time together and spending time together with God's people on the most important day in the calendar year of the church, right? And um, is it okay to say it again that I got in trouble for last week? No, I'm okay? Uh, we're going to start worship early. We're going to have pre-worship because um, our worship team is, is excellent. It's excellent. and and it's not just excellent because it because our musicians are talented that's not what makes them excellent what makes our worship team excellent is that our musicians whether their whether their instrument is drums or guitar or voice or keyboard or whatever it is our musicians are godly people led by a godly man who is who is trying to bring all of us to the feet of Jesus. And um, it's really been exceptionally awesome lately. And, and I was feeling like, and you've heard me say this a couple of times in recent weeks, I was feeling like we needed more of that. So I, so I asked Mike if it would be okay. And, you know, there's only, there's only so much music we can do in our regular worship time. And so I asked Mike if he would, you know, choose some more songs that didn't make the final cut. And so we're going to have an extra half hour of worship music. And uh, that's going to start at 945 on Sunday morning. So you might still be munching on a, a gluten-free muffin and, and sipping on a delicious cup of coffee. But you'll hear the music start and you say, well, I don't want to miss a single note of this. So come early. Come early, we'll feed you come early we'll 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 feed your spirit your soul as well as your belly and uh, and then at 10 fifteen our regular time of worship we're going to have everybody upstairs, all the children uh, the nursery will still be open for the littlest ones, but we're going to have everybody in the room and the kids are going to help us get started with our worship on Easter Sunday and that's always special so is that enough? all right this morning uh, I want to continue. This is the sixth message in our series on the Sermon on the mount but but we 're not only continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount but we're also celebrating this particular day um, that we call palm sunday and and uh, I was thinking about this i i 've always been a, a a history enthusiast from my from my childhood, uh, I was especially focused on military history, and my my favorite subsection of that was World War II. And as a boy, as I was learning to read, I I checked out every book in our elementary library about World War II. Most of them were more pictures than words. And I, I checked out those books... All of them multiple times and they finally said we're promoting you to the high school library early because we just don't have anything else for you and this a uh, couple of nights ago we were we were um, having dinner with some friends at our church and we at our house we weren't having dinner here but they're friends from our church and we were we were playing some games after dinner and and uh, there was a clue and 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 Kelly Uh, My lovely and brilliant wife, Kelly, recognized from the clue, from the word, Normandy. She recognized that the words that that were associated with the clue, Normandy, were France and Germany. And it took her a couple of minutes to, to remember all of the pieces. But I was sitting next to her, cheering both for her and against her because she was on the other team. But I wanted her to do well. And, and sure enough, she remembered Normandy was the place in France where the Allies launched the invasion, the, the final campaign that brought World War II to an end. So uh, this will make sense to you in a minute, I hope. It makes perfect sense to me. June the 6th of 1944 was the day we call D-Day, the day that the Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy and began to fight their way into France and ultimately into Germany. And almost 11 months to the day later, May the 8th, 1945, the war in Europe ended. It took 11 months from D-Day to V-E-Day. It was a bloody campaign. The first few days of the invasion that began on D-Day, we suffered a lot of casualties. Remember the movie Saving Private Ryan and the horrific opening scenes of that movie? But that reminds me of why we celebrate Palm Sunday. I was going to call it P-Day, but I thought that's not going to translate well. <laughs> so I'm going to call it P.S. Day. Still doesn't work very well. Just, just you know, I'm going to let that one go. They don't all land. They don't all land. And just like the invasion of Normandy and the conquest of the Axis forces in Europe during 1944-1945, Jesus began the final assault of his campaign to free the hostages held in bondage to sin and death on Palm Sunday. He is more efficient than General Eisenhower and the Allied armies because it only took him seven days to finish that battle that started on Palm Sunday when he entered the city of Jerusalem to the cheers of the people, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and cries of, save us, that's what Hosanna means, save us, Save us. You are the one who has come to save us. Of course, the people crying that had a very different idea about what they thought that meant. But Jesus entered the city knowing that he was there to do exactly what they wanted him and needed him to do. Just in a very different way. So today, my assignment is to somehow take this next section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and uh, his teaching about what it means for us to follow Jesus, and relate it <laughs> to Palm Sunday. And and, and I'm and I'm going to make an effort, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a I'm gonna take a quick shot from the perimeter, and then I'm gonna move on from there. This is what. Jesus says, as this next section begins, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He goes on, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota... Not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Uh, If you're anything like me, you're immediately asking a question. You wish you were raising your hand and asking it out loud. What in the world is an iota? Everybody has a pretty good idea of what a dot is. But what's this iota thing? Jesus was almost certainly referring in his Sermon on the Mount, speaking um, in the common language to common people, he was almost certainly speaking about the smallest character, the smallest stroke of a pen in the Hebrew language. And the smallest indicator... In Hebrew, there are no vowels, only consonants, and then uh, punctuation marks. We might describe them that indicate the vowel that goes with those that set of consonants. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Hebrew is really difficult language, not only to read but but to speak. And you've heard me butcher it from time to time. If if we were if Jesus was to be speaking this sermon. In English, to people who were familiar with English, he might have said, not the least crossing of a T or the dotting of an I. And some of you are saying, well, what about the J? (laughs) Yes, that too. Not the least mark on paper, not the least intentional mark. On paper will be lost or will be uh, dismissed or overturned. Not the least bit of it will be given uh, an exception on appeal, but rather this law and the prophets will be fulfilled. Entirely and perfectly. Jesus intended to obey the law. And as we go along in this Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see how he uses the letter of the law and intensifies it. That's coming. I'll say more about that when we come to it. But he was going to obey the law that God gave to people through his chosen servant at the time, Moses. And by obeying it perfectly, without missing even the smallest nuance, Jesus would satisfy the requirement of the law, not only for himself, but for all of us. We'll come to that in a few minutes. Uh, here's a couple of statistics for those of you that are filling in the blanks in your bulletin. These first three blanks, these are not inspired. Okay, these come from the from the DAV, the Dennis Ashley version. They're just marginal notes. Okay, at least 300, at least 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled literally. In the life of Jesus from from the announcement of his birth until his resurrection and ascension into heaven. At least 300. Jesus acknowledges that not only was the law given through Moses, but every utterance of every prophet that God used to declare his intentions. To reveal his plan and his requirements Would be fulfilled completely. When it it comes to God. When it comes to God friends. The word sloppy. Does not apply. The word careless. Does not apply. The word random. Is not in the word bank. With God. Almost perfect. Perfect. Is not even allowed. Exactly perfect. Is the standard that God meets. So I said that there are at least 300 prophecies fulfilled. Some researchers put that number somewhat higher. Uh, They can find as many as 456. 456 unique, unique prophecies. And there are even a couple of people who sharpened their pencils and found as many as 574 different prophecies in the Old Testament that that all point to Christ. You ready? Hmm. Well, I'm not going to try to bury you with 574 examples. Uh, I don't have enough time this year to do that. I am simply going to say that no matter how many prophetic hints that God gave to humankind uh, through his chosen servants, the prophets, he has, and in some cases still will, fulfill every single one of them. Every single prophecy has either already been fulfilled in Christ or will still be fulfilled in Christ. And since, by the way, all of the prophecies that we can look at that have already been fulfilled have been fulfilled in the literal sense, not just in the, in the symbolic sense, but in the literal sense. I have no reason to believe that the, those prophecies that we are still waiting to see fulfilled won't also be fulfilled in the most literal sense. It's just my opinion. So, Christ came to fulfill prophecy, and of all those 574, we're looking at just one of them this morning. The one that we're particularly interested on this Palm Sunday was written by the prophet Zechariah. And this prophecy that we have just been reminded of was made... We know exactly when this prophecy was made because Zechariah, as he introduces his prophecy, fixes it precisely in time. In Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 1, Zechariah says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, who was the king of Persia at the time, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Ido. These are dates that we can locate precisely on a calendar. And this fixes the date of this prophecy at right around 520 years before the birth of Christ. 520 BC. Now just for comparison, if you think about 500 years before Jesus Entered the city of Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey 500 years before Zechariah said this is going to happen The closest thing in our history that I can compare that to is when the Mayflower arrived in the new world and people stepped off of that boat and on to the place we call today Plymouth Rock. In 1620, that was 400 years ago, 400 years ago, the pilgrims landed in the New World. That's a long time ago, right? One of the earliest seeds of American history as we know it today, 400 years ago. But 500 years before Christ, Zechariah said, the Messiah is going to enter the city of Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey, and the people will welcome him with rejoicing. 500 years into the future. That's not random, that's not by accident. The triumphal entry of Jesus was very carefully planned and orchestrated. Reading the details of the event, which is one of the few um, excerpts in the the life of Jesus that all four of the Gospels record, all four of them have this story, and the details are astonishingly uh, harmonious and parallel. Jesus knew ahead of time, as he was coming toward the city of Jerusalem, he sent his disciples on ahead into a village on the outskirts of Jerusalem and said, go into that village and you're going to find a a foal, a colt of a donkey that, that had never been ridden, tied up. And when you find that donkey, untie it and bring it to me. And if anybody challenges you, use this special secret code. The disciples said, well, okay. And they went into this village and they found this donkey, probably within the first couple of minutes that they went and entered the village. Here it is. And, they, and it was tied up and unattended. And so they began to untie it. And the owner, whoever was responsible for caring for this animal, came rushing over saying, hey, what are you doing? That's not, my, that's not your donkey, that's mine. And they said the secret code phrase. The master has need of it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Go ahead, take it. It's yours, just like that. And so uh, the rest of the story you know well. Jesus got on the back of that little animal, very humble. Uh, it's it's kind of and it, it might have looked something like the the picture you have in your head of a grown man throwing. His leg over a small, you know, donkeys. Adult donkeys aren't very big. Small donkeys, you know, maybe the size of my my Labrador Golden Retriever Toby. Um, I have I have at different times put my grandchildren on the back of my dog Toby, who's very patient and And we 've used that as a photo opportunity, but it, you can imagine what it would be like for a grown man to to sit on the back of a very small donkey it's it 's the picture of what it is what it 's the picture of humility. I remember a story that I heard years ago about the field marshal uh, leading the uh, the English army when uh, the English army came to deliver Palestine, back before it was a nation again in 1948. I forget the general's name, but he was well known. And he stopped. He was riding his white Charger war horse, leading his column of of, uh, British soldiers into Jerusalem. And he stopped and dismounted and walked on foot. And when asked, he said, if my Lord chose to ride into this city through these gates on the back of a donkey, who am I to ride through these gates on the back of a horse? I thought that was pretty cool. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy among the 300 or 574 other prophecies Spoken of 500 years before the event, he fulfilled it exactly the way it was foreseen. And I just want, before I move on from this, I just want to ask you this. Why is it that still today, so many of us fret and worry and lose sleep, thinking that maybe God isn't paying attention to me, or that he doesn't care about what's going on in my life, or... That he is too busy. Or that he is just too big. To bother with little me. Or maybe worst of all. That he isn't big enough. To deal with what I'm dealing with. If God cared enough. About how. Jesus would launch his campaign in the way that he would enter the city of Jerusalem on this fateful day He certainly is paying attention to what's going on in your life And in my life Okay, now we've talked about the prophets and we've talked about uh, Palm Sunday, can I can I move on and talk about the other half of this message? Thank you. I knew you were going to say yes, because you want this to be over. <laughs> we talked about Jesus fulfilling the prophets, but but Jesus also said he's going to fulfill the law. And uh, this passage goes on in verse 19 of Matthew 5. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that not the least little bit of the law is going to be erased or waived or overturned on appeal. Not by him. And then he spoke this warning. A warning directed toward those who would seek to find a loophole in the law or make an exception or file an appeal to dismiss some point of God's perfect law. This particular verse, Matthew five nineteen. Um, when I read it, maybe I read it differently than you read it, but when I read it, I see teeth that bite and hold me. It, holds, it bites into me and it holds me because I am one who, find my, who, who has found myself not only trying to understand God's word and God's law, but also to teach it to others so that you will understand it. Or at least begin to understand it. And if I don't do it well, there's a warning here for me. So I'm telling you, this is not my life verse. This is not even one of my favorite verses, but I'm not taking it out of the Bible. I'm not going to be like Thomas Jefferson. I don't don't like this one. I'm going to put a bold black stroke through it. I read it, and I carefully consider it, and I recognize that there's a requirement on my part to be faithful and diligent, to read and teach God's Word truthfully and faithfully and it and it weighs on me i'll tell you it weighs heavily on me jesus doesn't leave it there though he goes on with the rest of this verse whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven this promise to those who both do and teach god's word and the principles and the precepts and the promises and the premises it contains this promise is going to come up again before we're all done with this Sermon on the Mount. And then verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you this statement when we read it. If we read it care- quickly, if we read it carelessly or casually, Um, We might get the wrong idea. We might get the idea that Jesus is here saying, you be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Be more righteous than they are. And if you are, you're in. In fact, to the people Jesus was addressing, there was no imagining how a person could be more righteous Than those Pharisees. Now they weren't very nice to be around. Because if you were not a Pharisee. And you were in the company of Pharisees. You're always going to feel judged. And and probably if you are a Pharisee in the company of other Pharisees. You're still going to feel judged. Because you're not being enough of a Pharisee. And the people whom, to whom Jesus was speaking saw these Pharisees, and they saw their entire lives, at least outwardly, being devoted to obeying the law, the Old Testament scriptures, and they went after it with such zeal, and such rigor, and such determination, and they called everybody around them to join them in their pursuit of righteous perfection that most people could not imagine being more righteous than them. And that's exactly what Jesus intended for his audience to hear. The the Pharisees and the scribes in all of their righteousness aren't righteous enough. And we understand better now It wasn't because the Pharisees weren't working hard enough. It's because their effort to accomplish righteousness by keeping the law is a futile exercise. Jesus is saying, in other words, it cannot be done. I made this observation last week talking about the scene of Jacob's ladder and angels ascending and descending. You and I are not invited to get on that ladder and climb into heaven. That is not our ladder. There is no ladder that you and I can climb to get to heaven. There is no scaffolding of righteous acts that will reach into heaven. It cannot be done. Still, if we can't achieve entry into heaven by keeping the law, even by rigid conformity to the law, then two questions arise. How can we get to heaven? And what's the point of the law? If the law isn't there to get me to heaven, why is it there? I think that's a good question for you to ask. So go ahead, ask me. What's the purpose of the law? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for cooperating. You're so wonderful. I'm going to share with you now in the next um, 16 minutes. Five purposes of the law God gave to people through Moses and through the nation of Israel. Now, of course, there's probably more than five. But I'm glad I only chose five because I only have now 15 minutes. These are five good reasons that make sense to me. And I hope after you've listened to me, they'll make some sense to you too. And to find these five reasons, I went to an expert on the law. Someone who had grown up observing, learning learning to observe, learning to teach, and then zealously following the law. His name is Saul. He comes from Tarsus. But you and I know him better as Paul. And uh, he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, got got some awareness and understanding of the purposes of the law as one who had studied it his whole life. He sat at the feet of Jesus spiritually, and, and, and he got some information and he wrote it down so that you and I could wise up about the purposes of the law. So uh, I want to uh, call your attention first to Romans chapter 3. Uh, and this is verse 19. And, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to pick these out. I'm not doing any hocus pocus magic here. You'll be able to pick them out as we read them. The five purposes of, of, or five, not the five, but five purposes of the law. Now we know, Paul writes, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. There's one purpose of the law. To make us accountable to God. To make humankind aware of the idea that there is a God who who has authority and who will hold me accountable for how I have behaved. We are accountable to God. The very next verse says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. I'm going to read that again. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. One translation says, it is impossible for anyone to be declared just or righteous by keeping the law. Rather, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Second purpose of the law. It makes me aware Of sin, generally, you know, we're probably more aware of other people's sin than we are of our own. Isn't that true? I'm, I'm, I am, judgingly aware of other people's sin, and I am very uh, oblivious often to my own. But the law makes me conscious or aware of sin. And then the next verse. Romans 3.21 and 22a. I might have missed this reference in the bulletin notes. The very next verse. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. The third purpose of the law is that in contrast to my awareness of my own sin, I now see God's righteousness coming into focus. And it's not just that I am a sinner, it is that God is holy. And I recognize the distance between us. And that I have no right to expect anything from God except punishment, judgment, wrath. Because he is holy and I am not holy. The opposite of holy. Now, I'm going to leave Romans chapter 3 and and flip over to chapter 5 of Romans. And this is a longer passage. And please bear with me because I I don't want to skip it. Uh, I want to read through it. And I want to ask you as I read through this and you follow with me on the screen... As I read through this, I'm going to encourage you to identify the contrast that Paul places before us here. Uh, this is a section of of the book of Romans that every one of us who are followers of Jesus ought to be spending time reading and meditating in and praying over and, and trying to understand and apply. In fact, uh, the whole book of Romans, perhaps in time I'll... I'll uh, try to teach through the book of Romans. But if you if you think 26 messages in three chapters in Matthew is going to take us a long time, imagine 16 chapters of Romans. Um, we'll see what happens. Might, you thought Pastor John's series in Hebrews took a long time. Here's uh, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam... And then death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Remember I said uh, the law makes us aware of sin and, and puts us in accountability to God because of it. Uh, going on in the next verse, yet death, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. The consequences of sin were already present and in force, even when our awareness of why the consequences were happening was not clearly stated to us. Even over those who were sinning, even, uh, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The contrast between Adam and Christ But the free gift, the free gift of salvation, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Here is where the idea of grace appears in this awareness of the relationship of of God and me, sin- and consequence, law, and then grace. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift followed following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free righteousness Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. His obedience to the law, every jot and every tittle, his every iota and every dot, his obedience to the law, Satisfied God's requirement that the law must be kept in order for humankind to be reconciled to God. And Jesus did it. And he did it for everyone. Amen. 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 This section ends. Now the law came in to, the law came in to increase the trespass. This is my favorite part. But when where sin increased Grace abounded all the more. So that as, death reigned, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the fourth purpose of the law, to accentuate humankind's desperate need for grace. Grace. We need grace because the law by itself condemns every one of us to the grave. I have this image of me in, in, in a long file of, of humans, head bowed, wrists tied together, ankles fettered, and bound by a chain or a rope around my waist to the person in front of me and to the person behind me, shuffling off slowly and ever, ever closer to what lies ahead at destruction. I am, I am bound as a captive because I failed to obey the law. And Jesus launched what did we call it? P.S. Day. His final campaign to break those chains that held me bound in captivity and marching inexorably to, toward judgment. And he set me free. Law is not by itself. Law by itself cannot set me free. But law is not by itself. Law comes with its more powerful brother, grace. The law, if you'll allow me this analogy, the law was the warm-up act. While we waited for grace to come out and take its place center stage. And that grace of God, which has now exploded into my reality with life-changing power. Now, I I promised you five, and I've only given you four. So if you're following in your Bible, I want to go to Galatians. This is uh, a very interesting purpose that God gave for the law. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Now, before faith came... We were held captive under the law that I just described, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is the fifth purpose or use of the law. God gave us the law to keep us safe while awaiting our rescue, or if you'd rather, our redemption. Paul paints the picture of the law as our Tutor as our schoolmaster, children in the father 's household in 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 the culture of that day um, they didn't they didn 't often send their children away to go to school. they educated their children at home, but not by mom or dad. Um, uh, affluent households would have a servant whose responsibility was to Raise the children, teach the children. A tutor, a schoolmaster, a guardian. And uh, this guardian was trusted with the well-being and education of children until they reached their maturity or majority. And God uses the law in this way. Teaching us as immature, uneducated unaware children what God intended for us all along. We needed that in order to attain the full measure of righteousness that God requires of us to be accepted by God in Christ. But I have a bonus purpose. I think It's not it's not in the bulletin see because here's what happens Uh, I give I give Jody the information for the bulletin usually by the middle of Thursday And then I have to give the the PowerPoint to to Ryan and the tech team usually by As early on Saturday as possible so they have time to get it all together and make it fit Um, but God has still been working on me in preparing what i'm going to say to you today um after I give the stuff to Jody and even after I give the stuff to Ryan and and sometimes even after I've started to stand up and talk. And let me tell you, that's a little unnerving. When in the middle of what I'm saying, God pushes another thought into my head and I have to quickly evaluate, is that what God wants me to say or is that a distraction that I need to ignore? And then sometimes I don't get it right. (laughs) You've heard some of those distractions probably. So right up until late last night, I realized I could add a a sixth bonus purpose of the law. Uh, And it goes along with the fifth one. Um, I was was under the guardianship of the law until uh, I, I grew into my majority as a child of God and made joint heir. And so... The, the law is God's servant, but now that I have reached the status of being declared a, a full child of God, no longer a minor child, now a full, a full son or a full daughter, that which was God's servant is now my servant too. And so that law that held me in guardianship now still has a purpose. And that purpose is to be an advisor, a counselor. Because even though I have graduated from school, from time to time, as the opportunity arises, I might still go back and visit with my former teachers. And I might catch them up on what's going on in my life, and I might, on some occasions, inquire of them, what would you do if you were me in this situation? And so, when I ask the question, huh, what would Jesus do? I might... In order to find an answer, see, we, we talk about asking this question, but we don't always talk about where to look for the answer to this question. From time to time, I might, in my quest for the answer to the question, what would Jesus do, I might go into my Bible. And in, in, in not just in the New Testament, Not just in the red letters, but also in the Old Testament, which is also God's word, right? God didn't just write the red letters. And I might inquire of the law. In my situation, what would Jesus want me to do? And it just might be that the law is where I might find the answer to that question. I didn't quite make it in 16 minutes. It took me 18. Next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going we're to take a week off from the Sermon on the Mount series, and I'm going to talk to you as part of what we're doing next Sunday morning. I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be on the outside looking in. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the law and for the prophets and for for fulfilling both all of the prophecies and in keeping the law perfectly on our behalf so that we might be delivered from bondage to sin and uh, the sentence of death awaiting us and might be set free because of your amazing grace. Thank you for this. Help us to apply it in our lives as the church is scattered this week into all the places where you put us. Help us to be the church in those places as well as when we are gathered here together on Sundays. And I ask this in Jesus' name.